Hello and welcome to the Law Life Balance podcast with me, your host, Caitlin McPhee. The Law Life Balance podcast is here to help drive much needed change in the legal industry. We all know that lawyer well-being is at an all-time low and mental well-being is a particular concern. Sadly, one in 10 lawyers under 30 globally are experiencing thoughts of suicide and that is just not okay. But all is not lost. There are so many incredible people out there fighting to make the legal industry a happier and more sustainable place to work. And it is my mission to track them down and interrogate them on this podcast. So in season one, I'm speaking to thought leaders in the legal mental wellbeing space about what we can do to make lawyers' lives that little bit, or even a lot, better. My my wish and my hope would be that um, it wouldn't take such a dramatic life event or mental breakdown to ask for help. I do believe that if you proactively implement strategies, you can actually prevent that breaking point. If you neglect those aspects of your life that fill your joy cup, you actually really run yourself up for exhaustion because you do need those moments where you stop and smell the roses, really. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Law Life Balance podcast. This week, I'm speaking to Charlene Giselle Borliot. Charlene is a former top London lawyer who, after years of neglecting her own health, went on a personal quest to discover the key to optimal wellness. Travelling far and wide, she's picked up more titles than I can possibly list in this introduction, spanning multiple coaching modalities, as well as breathwork, meditation, and yoga qualifications. Lovingly dubbed the solicitor by her clients, she now uses her knowledge and skills to help other lawyers and senior executives optimize their mind-body health and therefore their lives. This is definitely one of the more conversational episodes of this podcast, and after starting with asking her a few questions, we quickly slipped into what was a deep and broad discussion covering a variety of topics. So, if you're interested in seeing what you can learn from her journey of self-discovery, and perhaps picking up some top tips on habit forming, rest and release, and even how to have happier and more successful relationships, both romantic and at work, you're in for a treat. This is Charlene. Charlene, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. How are you doing today? Really good. Thank you. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you too. Um, okay, so I think the first thing I would love to start with, because there will be some people who don't know anything about you, um, is just a little bit of background about yourself. Um, and if you could cover off a bit about your legal career and what ultimately led you to doing what you're doing today, I think that would be fantastic. Yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, uh, so it started as a little girl's dream. <laughs> that would be fair to say. Uh, being a lawyer is what I wanted to do when I grew up, you know, one of those uh, little girl's dream um, following dad's footstep. He was an insurance broker, but I used to always help around the office. And I remember uh, being a little girl and asking, Daddy, Daddy, what do you do when you like big with a bit of paperwork and in an office? maybe you become a lawyer. <laughs> uh, so it was it was always somewhere at the back of my mind, this idea of wanting to be uh, an advocate and, you know, defending justice. There was something very noble in my head about uh, becoming a lawyer. And I quite liked the idea of fighting a cause as well. I was quite feisty as a little girl. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was always going to be litigation. Um, I know some people say they fall into litigation for me it was litigation um, was always my aspiration uh, for as far back as I could remember so um, this is what happened I went to read uh, law at Cambridge Uh, also was one of my little girls dream I fell asleep with the little tags of Cambridge University and thought that one day I'll get to Darwin's college wow (laughs) Um, so that was the idea and it happened. I was really thrilled, made amazing connections through uni. And I was actually, um, as you can say, you know, chosen early through the law fairs and the vac- vacation scheme. So that I followed the path of mm. 
law school and going through the VAC schemes and then the training contract and becoming a construction litigate, litigator. So I was uh, working specifically in construction, oil and gas litigation. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And, and how was that experience for you? Um, ultimately, obviously, it was fin- not stayed there. So um, what, what was it that was <laughs> the driver behind you deciding not to carry on with your career in the law? It was phenomenal in terms of skills and learning. I, I really, you know, it's a question I get asked often, would you do it all over again? And mm. frankly, yes, there are things that I would change. If I did have a time machine, I definitely would be looking after my well-being more while working, but I would still go through what I went through because it made me the person that I am today. Mm. I thought it was really thrilling to be part of such a big team, to be working for multinational clients, to be part of a huge multinational global law firm. I loved the quality of the cases, my colleagues, the even the adrenaline high that was going into the office. Frankly, I loved it. But Mm. what happened was that I burned out. And, you know, I don't blame anyone per way of the firm or my colleagues or clients. It was perhaps more to do with my personality of taking everything quite at heart and being very emotionally involved and also not actually following a strategy that will allow me to reset and release Mm. for the years when I was in litigation, it was all go. I remember, you know, pulling the all nighters, doing sleepless night. And it was, it wasn't just me. Uh, We were all doing it in the team. And I don't really remember sitting back and thinking, this is perhaps not healthy. Mm. I, waited for the moment I crashed and there was no going back instead of paying attention to the red flags. Because I do remember, you know, my family and friends being a bit concerned and just saying, oh, sweetie, you know, you you haven't slept or you're working really, really hard. It's been many weekends in a row. And I heard it, but I didn't listen. Mm. Uh, and so with hindsight, I would say perhaps I should have listened, but, you know, should have, would have, could have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's interesting that you say, you know, if, if with hindsight, if you could go back and do it all again, there are things you would change. Just what are some of those things that you would change? A few things in particular. So I'll just give you a very concrete example. I always well, always perhaps a big statement, but I um, loved yoga since I was a teenager. I started mm. quite early for my first class. Didn't know much about it, but I, I had an interest. So even when I was a, a litigator at the large firm, I already had a membership and I had a gym and I had yoga classes. And I just remember missing most of them. Mm. And, you know, they would always be falling back if there was a deadline or a work I would cancel any anything else. Whereas I think that actually, if you make some small well-being appointment with yourself, you can actually do what it is that you love in a more sustainable manner. Because if you're constantly saying, right, I don't need to walk the steps. I don't need to go to yoga. I don't really need to eat healthy. I don't need to sleep. I don't need to rest. You just think of yourself as this machine that is somehow unstoppable and unbreakable. Also, I was in my 20s, so perhaps you can say I was a bit naive and, Mm. you know, had a bit of a superwoman syndrome, perhaps. Mm. (laughs) But, you know, I I thought that sleep was something that was an accessory, not a necessity. Um, So with hindsight, I would tell my younger self, you know, actually to be doing that thing that you love doing, you do need sometimes to rest and release, yeah. to actually switch off. You know, I, I remember being connected to my phone and checking my emails and wanting to be proactively um, preparing and always on the go. And you get to states of mental, physical, emotional and psychological exhaustion when you're constantly on the go. Everyone needs a bit of release and and reset so not um not 
thinking that my health was a priority is perhaps the greatest mistake that I made. Yeah, uh, I resonate with that so much. And I think a lot of other lawyers probably do too. But it's really difficult, isn't it? When, you know, there is an expectation that you pick things up as soon as you receive them. That still exists today. And it becomes really difficult, especially if you haven't quite got to the point of knowing your value outside of the value that somebody else attributes to it then mm. putting yourself first is really, really difficult. And I know that I skipped countless yoga classes. I had the same experience as you, right? Like I had a period of burnout because I wasn't sleeping enough. I wasn't eating properly. I wasn't doing the things that I do now that keep me well. And they have to be a priority. Mm. The reason they have to be a priority is because if they're not, then everything else falls to pot too. And you can't do your job, let alone live your life. So it's yes. like reframing it, I think, is, is the best thing I ever did in terms of, well, doing the things that keep me well isn't me putting them above work. They come along with work. If I don't mm. do those things, work doesn't happen either. So in order for work to be a priority, my health also has to be a priority. Absolutely. Uh, and you you brought it up so beautifully. And I think it's so relevant because it's almost something that you do for work. You see, in my not educated enough uh, mindset, I thought any working hour was contributing to my greatest career good. Mm. The side of the story or the flip that I, that I wasn't seeing was actually I was damaging that career in a way because I wasn't making it sustainable. I, I remember um, my mom being quite concerned because she brought me up in a way that was very earthy, really connected to nature. We were brought up in the south of France, so we would play in the garden and run around bare feet as children and eat a very earthy lifestyle. And I remember my mom when she was hearing about my sleepless night and my you know, order pre-prep meals and my indoors lifestyle, voicing concerns and saying, you know, I haven't heard you say that you went for a walk in a while. Perhaps you should go to the river or, you know, have a little Saturday in a forest. And I just thought, mom, you have no idea. (laughs) What are you on about? And I thought she didn't understand what I wasn't going through, Mm. but in fact, she was right that it's also a part of me. And if you neglect those aspects of your life that fill your joy cup, you actually really run yourself up for exhaustion totally. because you do need those moments where you stop and smell the roses, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally and utterly. And especially in London, it's hard, isn't it, to find that earth connection, the nature, Mm. you really have to go and look for it. And then Mm. sometimes you're in nature and you've got cars and bikes whistling around. It's hard to find that sense of stillness and peace, but that's also where I think it has to come from within you, right? Like that's your job is to know how to find that inner stillness within yourself, regardless of what is happening around you. Absolutely. And becoming cognizant as well of the effect of the indoor lifestyle on our health. Yeah. Um, just a little anecdote. Ever since I stopped working in an office as much as I used to, my eyesight actually got better. Oh, wow. <laughs> in the past four years, my eyesight has been getting better, which is a bit odd because mm. it's like aging backwards. But there is an explanation. I'm just spending a lot less time uh, staring at screen and being exposed to artificial light. And I've learned tools and techniques to protect my eyes with blue blocking glasses and using filters and using screen protection. I wasn't aware of that. And I remember spending days just indoor, always subject to this artificial light and not really... um, cloud gazing or, mm. or sunbathing for for weeks and weeks turned into months and months mm. turned into years and that really does take a tool on on our health and well-being mm. massively yeah the eye eyesight's this really important one isn't it because they say even in an office to just make sure that you're constantly changing 
how far you're looking. So look away yeah. from your screen and look across the room or look out of the window just to change the perspective in order for your mm. eyesight. But what I'd be really interested to talk about is a bit more of what you're actually doing now. So mm-hmm. you decided to leave the law um, mm-hmm. and, and what were your next steps and what exactly are you doing now that enables you to have this more kind of balanced, vibrant lifestyle? I decided to go on a quest and it was a bit of a call to adventure, I suppose, you know, looking at the hero's journey cycle of life there was something missing um, and perhaps it has to do with my upbringing and the fact that you know I was brought up in the south of France and that was so far removed from my city of London um, litigation lifestyle I just felt perhaps I needed to understand um, a bit more about health and wellness and it was initially to heal myself but also to become an ambassador um, for other people that have faced the same struggle. My, my point of view was, how is it that I have been educated at top university, top law school, incredible law firms with some of the most intelligent people I've ever met, yet not many people or hardly anyone this really proactively educated me on how to look after my basic need or my physiology. And I, I really sat down and sort of interrogated myself and also became my own self-critic. What did I miss? You know, what was my blind spot? How did I miss something so obvious? And I started to quiz my friends, my legal peers. Hey, do you remember um, at uni? Did we get any wellness introduction how to not pull an all-nighter how to look after your metabolic health how to look after your psychological health and I was you know going on this quest and quizzing and interrogating and asking questions to come to the realization that it wasn't just me we were just highly educated in many aspects certainly the law but not so educated when it came to proactive actions to look after our wellness so I thought there is a gap here. Mm. And I, I thought I would go on a mission to heal myself first, understand what it is that I missed, which steps I could have taken to not burn out and how I could be the voice for an industry that I love and hopefully fill the gap mm. and come back with a message and with some of the pearls of wisdom that I collected along the way to bring back a blueprint and bring up, bring back a map. So I went quite radical. Uh, I went to Bali, I went to the Himalayas, I went to Nepal, and I was really on a quest trying to look for answers and different methodologies and healing techniques. And it was very um, far-ranging. I tried to um, be curious and be inquisitive and find different answers that could work with me and that could also resonate um, once I could be back and I could bring those messages. Mm. And so that's what you've done, right? So you've brought back the various modalities that you've learned about and you've created this way of working which is unique to you. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you say that you are now trying to help other people going through the same thing as you. So working a lot with lawyers yes. on their issues. Yeah. And yes. what is that like? What is it like bringing back this knowledge that you have to lawyers kind of still in that same place that you were in? What are some of the common issues that you see and how, how can you help lawyers? It's, um, it's, very satisfying because I really resonate with what my clients are currently facing because I've been in their shoes most of the time. So I kept really active on, you know, social media and connecting with my network while I was on my adventures. So it intrigued a few of my connections and my network. And, you know, they were seeing photos of me in an ashram or, you know, on a remote (laughs) island Um, and and then going through the coaching modalities and all the different uh, schools that I went through. And mostly the lawyers that came to me were facing what I would call a a life health crisis. So Mm. 
oftentimes it's quite sad, but it was a, a life event or a medical diagnosis that has have brought them to me. Mm. So oftentimes I've had lawyers calling me because they were diagnosed with um, pre-diabetic or metabolic condition, or they realized they had reached morbid obesity, or they had a break, a mental breakdown, or they burned out. I've also had um, clients that called me after a heartbreaking divorce because, you know, spouses were not happy at home. Um, really major life events that are catalysts for a change and for a radical decision to take proactive steps towards life optimization. So it is wellness and it is health, but it is also the 360 overview of all the different components that can touch our life when we're not actually looking after our personal life in the most optimized way. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you find, obviously you kind of insinuated there that some of these life events or issues that happen do happen as a direct result of how some lawyers are working and what their work life looks like. And so how do you help those lawyers who are, you know, returning to the workplace where the workplace hasn't changed? How do you help Mm -hmm. them to, to make the changes that they need in an environment which isn't any different? By implementing uh, habits, and I'm a firm believer of very small incremental changes that compound into big transformation. So I'm very cognizant of the pressure that lawyers face. And because I stepped away from the law, I would not be an advocate for doing the same. So I don't go about telling my clients to quit the law and go to mm-hmm. Nepal and <laughs> live in an ashram you know that, yeah. that's my journey and if anything my mission is actually to help lawyers not get to that breaking point yeah. I, my ideal my ideal life in my client's journey is a client that tells me hey listen I get to do what I love mm-hmm. and to feel radiantly healthy that's a win mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the ultimate win um so it's about really being quite um disciplined with habit optimization so one of the things that i do with my client is always go through their project matter so i i always like to remind them that if they have the project matter with a client they would follow a certain strategy so Mm. I make them become their own clients so we've now opened a new client matter a new Mm. file and we're going to follow a certain blueprint to satisfy that client that client Mm. being themselves because Mm. you know if there is a parallel then they know they will follow the same discipline so it's about tracking little wins throughout the day making sure that there is more movement in place encouraging my clients to take walks walks and talks. So I do a lot of my coaching with walking and talking, um, drinking more water throughout the day, reducing caffeine, preparing healthier lunch option, saying no to that special, you know, um, evening out that would involve extra amount of drinking, going to sleep a little bit earlier, setting boundaries on bedtime, making sure to remove screen time of a couple of hours before going to bed, taking breathing breaks throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I do posture check. I do a sort of spinal um, evaluation. So I look at my client's posture, the way they stand, their shoulders, their feet, their knees, um, anything that needs to be optimized in the way they sit at the desk, any wrist stretches. Mm-hmm. And those little things would not stop a lawyer being a lawyer. In fact, yeah. it would let a lawyer be a better lawyer because mm. a healthier lawyer is can only be a, health, a better lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's not about ever telling anyone not to do something. It's about doing it in a more optimized manner. And ultimately, I feel that a health-educated lawyer is going to be an ambassador for the next generation of lawyers. So it's it's beyond the self. The way I look at the message I'm trying to spread is about making a stand for the future generation. Mm. Yeah, oh, I love that so much. And 
we're very aligned, I think, you and me and in our values in terms of this isn't about getting people to, you know, have an epiphany and decide that the law doesn't work for them. Mm. But it's more, how can you, you've worked so hard to get to this point. You've trained, you've done university countless years of study. You've gone through your training contract. You've qualified as a lawyer. Most people who become a lawyer have done it because they feel some kind of calling to the profession. That's not a general rule, but I know a lot of people do have that sentiment. And so it's about, well, you're here now. How do we make this a sustainable environment for you to stay in rather than one that becomes too much where there's no other option than for you to leave the profession? Absolutely, absolutely. And I really love that you said that because, you know, when when someone reads my story, it it could there could be a, an instinctive reaction that, oh, perhaps she's someone that wants to advocate people to leave the law. And it's quite mm. the opposite. If anything, my story is a cautionary tale yeah. in a way, you know, this is, this is, I hit breaking point. Mm. Let me help you not do the same and do what you love because being a lawyer is, is a wonderful profession. And if you can do it while having a radiant health, then mm. this is great. And, and it is possible. I am a firm believer that you can have it all, but you'd need mm. to be as disciplined on your you know, work KPIs as you would be on your wellness KPI. And it's often the first question I ask when I onboard my clients on my program, what's your wellness strategy? Mm. And it's often, you know, eyebrows rising, (laughs) my wellness. (laughs) And I, I, you know, I I always try to have a bit of banter around it going, right, so what's what's your monthly goal for your fitness, wellness? And often it's um, there is a big question mark because we tend in the legal profession to put our physiological needs and our wellness on the back burner, something that you will revisit later once the engine is starting to show signs and starting to break, then maybe you pay attention. My ideal world is a world where you proactively look after the engine before it breaks. Instead of yeah. having to make repairs and trying to fix it, you actually make sure that it runs in the long term. 100%. And also appreciating and understanding that the engine is complex. Mm. There's not going to be a quick one size fits all overnight solution to anything. And keeping an engine running also isn't about you know fixing it when it breaks. It's about keeping it maintained at all times, every bit of the engine. Sometimes one bit of the engine might need a bit more maintenance than another so it's also about having that flexibility built in, right? And also having a holistic view of this isn't just about making sure I get enough sleep at night, but this is about making sure that my body is getting everything that it needs and my mind is getting everything it needs in order for me to be able to function and spin all of the plates that I'm having to spin. Because especially as you get a bit older and you get a bit more senior in your career, you don't just have your career to worry about or just yourself, you often also have, as you mentioned earlier, a relationship perhaps to to look after, um, romantic. You've also got your platonic friendships. You've got your family potentially. You've got lots of other things that you're having to to think about other than Mm -hmm. yourself. And Mm -hmm. if you aren't in a place where you can do that because you haven't maintained the engine, that's when I think things start to fall apart for a lot of people. Absolutely. And there is still as... As shocking as that may be in, you know, 2021, there is a taboo around mental health. Yeah. One of my uh, recent client onboarding came to me because of a mental breakdown and um, he took a bit of time off, but he felt very, I know embarrassed is a strong word to use, but I, I do believe it's appropriate in this instance, embarrassed about having had the mental breakdown because... He is an extraordinary partner and a brilliant lawyer and a very intelligent person. Mm. So there was a part of him, however small or big that part might be, that couldn't quite accept his own mental breakdown because that mental, that mindset, that mind, that brain is his tool, right? Mm. Um, And I think this is what's very confronting about the legal profession is that our brain, our mind is, is our toolbox. Mm-hmm. You know, we are constantly intellectually stimulated 
So what's more taboo than to say that that tool that we need for day-to-day work is actually not working very well anymore? And there is a fear um, to be then sort of uh, excluded or to be not trusted as much in the legal profession, whereas just admitting that the person might need just a bit of rest and a bit of release and to implement a new strategy doesn't mean that the person can't shine again Mm. um, very rapidly once they've had that opportunity to reset and to learn and to grow and to make sure that they give their brain a break yeah Um, and and in this particular instance you know he was facing chronic insomnia heightened anxiety and he had entered this vicious circle this loop where uh, nights melt into days and weekends are spent trying to make up for the exhaustion but then there is the anxiety of performance and and it really becomes quite dark quite quickly Mm. and I felt so so honored and humbled that I could help because now I can see him shine again and it's um it's 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 beautiful to know that there is light that can be shed mm. on sometimes quite quite dark journeys and then yeah. there is hope um but my my wish and my hope would be that um it wouldn't take such a dramatic life event or mental breakdown to ask for help i yeah. do believe that if you proactively implement strategies you can actually prevent that breaking point yeah I yeah totally I really love what you said there about you know seeing your brain as a toolbox but also that being able to kind of come back to to shining brightly quite quickly I think something that has always interested me it draws a bit on what you said about there still being some mental health stigma is that we still see our body and our mind as very separate when actually each influences the other. Mm. So the mind-body connection is something that I think a lot of people don't really think about and maybe understand that the way that you think about things can influence the way that your body responds. You know, if you a thought can influence and trigger an emotion, and then if you allow the emotion to trigger further thoughts, that's when you very quickly get stuck in a feedback loop often of negativity. But the same is true for positivity too. Mm-hmm. So if you allow yourself to, if you, if you can get out of the darkness that you might be in and actually realize, and this is a very uncomfortable truth for a lot of people. And I can only say this because I had the realization myself that you create that negative reality for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not the external environment. There are people who have much worse circumstances than we do, who are very happy And the difference is how they interpret the environment around them. So you have the power. And I think that's the point here is you have the power to take yourself out of any dark moment in which you find yourself. And it's your, it's your mind, which will help you do that. Mm. And so that, that mind being the toolbox, it's the most powerful toolbox you have. And therefore, why should there be a stigma around this thing that is so incredibly powerful not just to allow you to do your job, but also to influence your physical health in such a, mm-hmm. such a tangible way. So mm-hmm. I really think we need to do some work on reframing the narrative around mental health and actually maybe not distinguishing it so much from, from overall health, because to me, they're all very connected, every bit of health. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, yes, I love the way you've reframed it. And it's, you know, if you think about coaching athletes, for instance, and you train them for a marathon or for the Olympics, they're going to have recovery days. You can yeah. be the best coach for the top Olympian, top athlete in the world. They will take breaks mm-hmm. <laughs> and that doesn't make them less of an athlete. Why is it that we think that high-performing lawyers don't also need recovery days in the same way an athlete does to prevent knee injury or wrist injury or hip fracture, right? Mm. It's I know I'm Mm. just running a metaphor here, but just saying that um, anyone that uses any part of their body, mind or, or, or body, in a 
very intense manner needs to release that particular part of their body. Mm-hmm. And for lawyer, um, what I've really um, been quite observant of is almost that dichotomy between an excessively stimulated brain that is always switched on and an underactivated body. And I'll be careful here because I've also had clients that were what I would call, you know, the sort of excessive gym rats. And I say gym rats, but I'm, yeah, I don't mean to with be love. Hard with love because <laughs> yeah. I, I also did that. So please, yeah. if anyone hears that, don't, don't let <laughs> uh, allow me to, <laughs> to say this uh, with love in the sense of, you know, burn, baby burn, right? Yeah. So I'm going to be sat down all day for 14 hours, but then I'm going to go for cardio for 30, 30, 40 minutes, exhaust myself on that treadmill, like burn hard, run hard, come back to the office, take a quick shower because I only have 40 minutes and then sit down again for another 14 hours. That is a recipe for disaster. And I can also say that because I've done that, right? And I've seen many of my clients do this. The reason this is a problem is because we are in high cortisol, high Mm -hmm. cortisol. So instead of doing low-bearing activities, such as taking a silent walk, going for a little stroll for 20 minutes, breathing a bit of fresh air, mm-hmm. moving, making sure steps are on the rise every day, that we're walking in continuity and throughout the day and getting you know nice movement and nice mobility in the body, we just tend to have excessive behavior right? Like I'm going all out, all in, I'm awake, I'm sleeping. And again, I don't mean to generalize and say, all oh, lawyers do that. I, this is not the point, but many lawyers, including myself, have had a tendency to go highly excessive on caffeine, you know, mm-hmm. drinking quite a lot of coffee and stimulants to stay up. I personally used to take Baroka, Red Bull, coffees, you name it. There was Mm -hmm. very little I didn't take to just stay up and awake. And then at night, well, then you're really faced with a problem because Mm -hmm. how do you fall asleep with that already active brain Mm -hmm. that hasn't had a reset? And um, that's when you start entering another vicious loop of perhaps, you know, medicating to fall asleep. And then there is a new problem added to the equation many of my clients are taking sleeping pills and then taking a lot of coffee. And so you can see how all of those loops will really be quite vicious because Mm -hmm. it's quite easy to fall into those loops. And again, I'm saying this with that amount of judgment because I've been there, I've done that. And I know how how easy it is to get into those loops. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, because you also see your peers do it. Yeah, peer pressure, totally. And it's, yeah, it's just so interesting. So much of what you say completely resonates, not just with my own story, but also what I know of a lot of my friends and colleagues who are still in the profession. And it's so difficult to get out of once you're in it. I think that's the problem because it takes a period of resetting. And Mm. a lot of the time, we don't feel we have the time to do that. But what I really loved about what you just said is that it sounds very much like a reframe of high performance and what that Mm. means. Because I think we all, as you've just alluded to, have this tendency to see high performance as doing the most and being the best. And it's very black and white in its Mm. definition. And actually maybe high performance as again, coming back to this holistic view is, well, okay, if my job means that my brain is very active and I've got high cortisol levels and there's a lot of pressure and a bit of anxiety and my heart rate's a bit high, then what do, what do I need to do in order to be able to maintain this environment? Well, perhaps I need to downregulate my nervous system when it comes to exercise instead of further upregulating it. Maybe I need to see exercise as not going to the gym and burning loads of calories on the treadmill, but doing some mindful yoga or whatever mm. that may be for you, a slow, steady cycle, something with not a lot of impact. Because again, The other thing is if you're sat at a desk all day, every day, and then suddenly you're doing a lot of very high impact activity, that's when you lead to injuries. That's when your bones start to suffer, especially if your diet isn't very good. So it's all so interlinked. And I I do think that we 
have a job to do to help people have this information. Because Mm -hmm. as you said, at the very start of this conversation, this is not stuff you get taught at law school. This is not stuff you get taught from my experience at the onboarding stage at the firm. You maybe get some, it would be good to have a walk every day, but that's probably about it in terms of the advice. Maybe try and get enough sleep and everyone's sitting there in the audience going, yeah, how how am I going to do that? And nobody has an answer. So yeah, I I just agree so much with with everything that you just said. Yes, and, and it's interesting, right? How there is quite an emphasis on this gym culture. Yeah. And though nowadays... (laughs) <laughs> that's that's a bit of a, a gray yeah. area with with gym but not as much an emphasis on on release in terms of creativity for the brain yeah so, so a true. lot of the things that i do with my client is not just dropping into the body i do think it's really important and i really i'm a strong advocate of you know the walking and the sh- just low impact activities and being in nature but also you know perhaps drawing, perhaps painting, learning another language, playing the guitar. I often have this situation. One of my clients loves playing the piano. And I was talking to her and she was really passionate about the piano, right? She she had this passion. You could tell it was Mm. something quite visceral. And I thought, wow, did you have a piano? Yes. Oh, beautiful. When's the last time you played? Oh, I, I, I don't. I just thought, okay, so that here there is this piano in the middle of your living room that you sort of walk around, avoid, yeah. see. When is it that you thought stopping to love, to do the things you love would be a self-optimized strategy? Yeah. And she sort of sat back and thought, well, I haven't thought about it. Okay, so you do know what makes you happy, but you've forgotten how to do it because time, mm. uh, it's not productive, it doesn't bring me forward. That's the thing. Actually, it is because it puts you in a state of flow mm-hmm. and you're becoming creative. I always think about you know, all those artists that say they've been struck by lightning and they got this brilliant idea when walking in a forest and mm. you know taking a stroll by the lake it's not a coincidence it's because in those moments the brain is actually releasing and you get that reflective release and i i told my client please play the piano and if anything i want you to see it as a work strategy mm. i want you to play the piano to be a better partner and she yeah. she had a laugh right yeah. but then she called me and said you know what i was playing the piano and i had this brilliant idea and it was it was it was extraordinary and i don't think i would have thought of that and i thought mm. hmm, yeah, yeah. Your, your brain actually got released and got creative and you get your creative juices flowing mm-hmm. and that has infinite amount of positive impact on your life it's just an anecdote but Mm. you know that story can be applied to to anyone else listening thinking what is it that I love doing and when is the last time I did that thing that I love doing yeah god so so important and I definitely have had to find the time again and prioritize the things that I love doing because it's the first thing that goes it's the first thing that goes and yeah it's the first thing that you need to get back. You know, it's Mm. so important. There's one other thing that I really wanted us to touch on and I appreciate we're kind of running out of time. I can't believe how quickly it's gone. (laughs) Um, But we kind of mentioned it a bit earlier and I just would love to hear your experience and also your opinion of this. And that's the impact of poor well-being on relationships. Mm. Because I think this is something that, I mean, this affects everybody, right? And anybody who's at work, who's busy, who's not making the time for themselves is certainly also not making the time for their partner um, if they have one in the way that both parties would like. And from my experience, this can often lead to a cycle of you know, guilt for not making the time, but then also resentment that somebody else is demanding the time of you. Very difficult place to be in. Can yes. you tell, tell me a bit about you know, maybe some of your experience with that and also, you know, how do you, I know that you have a relationship today. We've spoken a bit about that before we recorded, but 
how do you optimize your relationship today? Mm. What are the things that are important for you to do? That's a really beautiful question. Um, and it, it, to me, the essence of a relationship is for it to be conscious in the sense of really actively um, working towards it. And you need to check in with your partner. So often when you don't check in and you don't make sure that the person is feeling seen or heard or acknowledged or understood, you can have a sort of full step buildup that will be quite negative. So the first step is going to be the resistance. There'll be resistance. There'll be almost denial. And then there could be resentment. If that's not resolved, it could escalate into rejection. And then the other stage would be the repression. So you're actually going to start repressing that negative feeling. And to break out of those cycle, it's really important to make sure that your partner feels that they're being seen, that they feel understood, and also that they feel safe within the relationship. You know, are you, are you making your spouse, your partner feeling safe? Are you making sure that the person feels that they're not being criticized? Are they being encouraged? Are they being valued? Are you making sure that you don't give the impression that you're being controlling and instead are you encouraging uh, free thinking and initiative within the relationship? So there are many tools that you can use um, by way of asking questions, you know, having a little rituals. I always try and say to my client, transform your routines into rituals. So perhaps on Friday, if you have a habit of ordering takeout and mindlessly eating your dinner in front of TV, not that I'm criticizing that behavior. I think it can be very lovely to have takeout and watch a movie, but perhaps once a month have a ritual instead of routine and start with small little steps take uh, your spouse by the hand um, how create that sanctuary do a little bit of eye gazing take a breath together you know inhale and exhale see if you can sink in with the breath and ask them very gentle question you know how do you feel today mm. um, have you felt that I noticed did you feel acknowledged did you feel that you were being heard? And it's important to feel that you are actually giving time and attention to your spouse by really being present, sometimes present, and even being in silence, but just being able to hear and, and let the spouse be heard is one of the most, most powerful tools that you can implement. Just being really present and listening. Yeah. It's, it's so important and I completely see the value in it. I think it's really difficult sometimes for people, isn't it, to have the courage to ask those questions, especially mm. if you feel like there's already conflict in your relationship. Having the courage to sit down and say, do you feel hurt? When you know your partner probably doesn't feel hurt and you know that you're going to have to then accept information, which will be difficult. I think it's challenging but what I really like about what you just said is that it's about creating that space that safe space that ritual that environment whatever that may be to say okay we're going to sit down here and this is this is now us against whatever the problems are that there might mm. be this is not you and me sitting on opposite sides of the table with the problems in between us mm -hmm. we're sitting down here together and we're going to look at these problems and see if we can collaboratively come to a solution. And we're not going to leave this space until both of us feel like we've both been heard and we've both had our say. It's hard. And again, I like how you say start small, right? You don't have to dive in with the, what's your biggest problem in this relationship? No. It's the, how are you feeling today? Because how often do we actually ask that and mean it? Exactly. Starting small and also appreciating that this may be slightly non PC, but mm. there are gender differences. What I mean by that is you need to actually adapt to what the psychology of your spouse is. So mm. typically, and I know many people might experience resistance when they hear this, but this is just psychological reality. You know, mm. typically women um, find themselves in a conflict with their spouse when they feel that they're not being seen when they feel that they're not being understood or when they're feeling unsafe. So as a man listening to this today, perhaps this is an opportunity to let your spouse or your loved one 
know that she's being seen, so a compliment, or she's understood, so give her space to speak, even if you mm -hmm. don't offer a solution, because men want to offer a solution, just let her be understood and to feel safe. So it doesn't have to be physical safety, it can be just any type of safety. And men on the other side, and again, this is a psychological reality, often conflict arise when men feel that they're being criticized. Typically men don't like to be criticized. So if we have ladies listening to this, it would be a really wise idea with your spouse to make sure you have a conscious relationship and conversation whereby you bring up something without being critical. Mm. So we can often, as women, without realizing that we are being critical, be a bit too critical. So be mindful of that. And men also typically don't like to feel that they're being shut off or closed. Yeah. Because as women, we have a tendency to be more articulate with our emotions. So are you allowing enough space to make sure that your spouse is not feeling closed off? And then control is another thing that is really a no-no for men and psychological realities that they don't like to feel that way. So is there any way that you can bring softness into the influence and the conversation so that your spouse is not feeling control? I think those little tools and adjustment are, are small, but they can go a long way if you consciously take proactive steps towards optimizing your relationship. Yeah, that's totally, I think it's, what I found interestingly for me is that it's more about less who's the woman or who's the man if you're in a you know heterosexual relationship, but more about who's dominating with masculine energy and who's dominating with feminine, knowing that each partner can have both. Oh, yeah. And so if you're sitting in a place of, you know, some the reason I say this is because sometimes with my partner, I know that I'm the person who takes on the more masculine role sometimes, and he can often feel like he's better at expressing how he feels. I'm sometimes very rational, very, well, this, 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 and this happened. And then I feel this way. And he's very much, he's much better than me actually at expressing things in emotive language. And therefore mm. it, he finds it easier to give me what he's feeling. And I find that harder to receive and vice versa. I'm not very good at expressing how I'm feeling and he can sometimes therefore take that as too harsh or too critical. And I think two things that have really helped us is the first is we, we use this concept, which is actually in a book, I think called connect or connected of being over the net. I don't know if you've heard oh. this. It's basically you're on a tennis court. Imagine both of you, one either side of the net. And every time you hit the ball over to the other person, you can be in control and understand what's on your side of the net. And you can also be in control of the action of hitting the ball, but you have no idea what is going on on their side of the net. And what that means is I know my experience. And if I'm receiving the ball, I know your action, but I don't know what the intention was behind your action. And so in your language, that comes across as, so say that, I don't know, he had come home late from work and didn't tell me why. Instead of me saying, you came home late from work and you didn't tell me why, and that was really unfair on me. I would say, you came home late from work without telling me why. And I felt unimportant because then it's not that he made me feel unimportant. It's that I felt unimportant as a consequence of his reaction. And now I am giving him the opportunity to tell me the intention to remove my feeling of unimportance and make me feel important again. It's so nuanced, but it's so clever because it stops the conflict immediately. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Isn't I love it? the metaphor with the So tennis. nice. Yeah. It reminds me, I, I hadn't heard that, but it reminds me a little bit of the four step formula for nonviolent communication. Mm, you know, you make that. a, so the, it's, it's very simple formula. The first one is just you, make an observation so it has to be factual non-emotional mm -hmm. yeah so the second would be you express a need then you express a feeling so how you feel felt and then you formulate a request mm -hmm. and that's really key because you take the time to actually formulate the request and we sometimes skip that and mm -hmm. we go you make exactly as you said, and no one makes us feel anything. No. You feel something. Mm -hmm. And so your request needs to be formulated. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, you came home late. I felt lonely. I needed to see you. I would formulate the request that perhaps next time you let me know beforehand. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot cleaner. Very than, much. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, I really like that too. I'm going to look that up. It's just, it's about finding what works for you, right? The other thing that I think is important and an easy step for most people to do is to read the five love languages. Oh, so good, right? I feel like everybody should have this I know. book by their bedside table. It's so yeah. simple when you think about it, but the way that you express love isn't necessarily the same way that somebody else likes to receive it. So you might find that you're doing everything you possibly think you can, but your partner just needs you to express love in a slightly different way. And unless mm. you know that and you communicate that, you will always be at odds with each other. Absolutely. Know your love language and know yeah. your spouse love language. Yeah. And also in leadership, know mm. your colleagues love language. Totally. Yeah. It's not just about romance. It's nope. very powerful. If you know that one of your colleagues that you're spending a lot of time with in the office uh, has a love language that is a word of appreciation you will want to send that email that says, well, well done. done. Yeah. Right. It's going to go a long way. Totally. If your colleague's love language is gift, you don't mm -hmm. have to go out and buy them a Mont Blanc pen. You can, you know, bring a token of your appreciation, bring, bring a, a small, tiniest token. And that too will go a long way. It can be a Kit Kat from the vending machine or maybe yeah. a healthier option. Yeah. <laughs> You know, maybe a, a, de a decaf coffee, <laughs> a filtered water or something. <laughs> uh, but it, it really isn't about the thing. It's about knowing the language. And I love that you brought that up. So important to know your spouse, your colleagues, your friends, your family's love language. Totally, totally. Oh, I, that's a really nice note, I think, to end on. Because <laughs> I think we've kind of gone through the gamut and we've come to you know, we've gone through relationships and we've come back to how that can impact you at work. So I love that. Do you have time, Charlene, to, to run through the quick fire questions before we close up Absolutely, for the day? Amazing. Yes. Okay. So work-life balance to you means? Staying mm. true to yourself, not forgetting what sets your soul on fire, um, keeping that radiance, keeping the glow um, staying true to your hobbies, to your passion, and to knowing what makes you happy outside work. If there's one thing that you could change about the legal industry, what would it be? Educating law students as early as university time and implementing compulsory wellness seminars at law school. <laughs> it's never too early. I feel like we need to start at the source. I agree with you. What are you reading at the moment? Oh, I thought that would show it to you. I've read it several times, but I really want to recommend it. The Art oh, of Impossible. It's on my list. I've not read oh, it yet. Brilliant. About flow states. Yeah. And it just absolutely brilliant book. I've, you know, I've tagged it, highlighted. <laughs> Big fan of Stephen Kotler. So highly re recommend. Incredible. Thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to up that one up my priority list now. <laughs> um, this might be a difficult question for you because it sounds like you probably tried a lot of things, but what's one new hobby that you'd love to try? Hmm. Um, I want to be painting more. Um, I love drawing and I neglected it for a while and I really don't have any particular artistic talent. I'll say this. <laughs> But I don't want the end result to be a hindrance to the process. Um, I want to be more process driven and less, <laughs> um, you know, about the result. And I think art therapy is just wonderful. So I want to be painting more, even if I'm not per se good at it. Yeah, me neither. You're not alone there. <laughs> I love that. Not wanting the end result to be a hindrance to the process. That's beautiful. But I think we do that so much, right? We get attached oh. to the outcome and then don't do the thing. Uh, yes, absolutely. And as a child, I, I used to draw so much and, and paint all the time. And I didn't, you know, I don't have a special talent, but I loved it. 
And my critical thinking has come in the way of my doing something that I love, which is, you know, I don't need to showcase. I'm not ready for the National Gallery, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to be. Exactly. It's for you, right? Something you it is. You. I know. It does make me happy, but I, I let it slip. Um, one thing that the world needs more of is conscious parenting um and again I'm, I'm really passionate about education and I think it never <laughs> starts too early and really this idea of of conscious effort for education and 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 really that passion to grow uh in a way that is really really sustainable and and we pour so much love and attention to the next generation because we are just a stepping stone to the next generation. I want the next generation to shine and I want to be one of the building block for that generation to stand on. And, and yeah, my passion lies really in, in, in the future. Okay, so then on the opposite side of the spectrum, one thing the world needs less of is? Attention-seeking devices. <laughs> I... I despite the fact that our, our attention has become the highest most prized commodity and I'm guilty of that too you know we constantly get um, taken our attention is always taken away from us and it can create um, attention fraction and overwhelm and you know um, less is more when it comes to attention yeah Money being no object, none, what's one other career you would have loved to pursue? Um, <laughs> pearl farming in Tahiti, mm. maybe. <laughs> wow. Like, yeah, great. That's an <laughs> off-the-wall suggestion. I love that. <laughs> I like pearls. and I, I can haven't see been that. to Tahiti yet. She's wearing them today for anyone who can't see. <laughs> I've had a passion for pearls for a long time and uh, yeah farming pearls in Tahiti sounds not bad at all <laughs> a quote or a saying that you love is do less and be more <laughs> yeah say no more <laughs> again I think this would be impossible for you one thing you do to look after your well-being is it's not it's not one thing <laughs> <laughs> I spare ice baths okay yes i uh i go into ice regularly to uh activate my immunity and to surrender to being uncomfortable yeah not sure i'm quite there yet cold shower maybe ice bath we'll see (laughs) maybe we do one together maybe okay (laughs) as a challenge okay maybe maybe in the summer (laughs) One day that you'll never forget is? Oh, graduation, Cambridge University. It's one of my greatest days, I think. I was so proud. So amazing. Yeah. It's a really nice feeling to also know that you're allowed to be proud of yourself. It is. It is. I, I really was so proud. And I think, you know, there is a societal tendency to 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 confuse pride and uh, with something negative but you know if we go back to greek philosophy pride being uh something that you're worthy because you've achieved it through hard work so uh, in fact i think we need to encourage the feeling of being proud and it's a quality it's a virtue totally finally one thing you're most grateful for right now is my community uh us now having a conversation uh, meeting like-minded people the beauty of um social interaction um beauty of meeting you and being having this conversation today and spreading the words and uh being an ambassador for for the legal community that i love so much right back at you thank you (laughs) so much that's beautiful i've absolutely loved this conversation We've gone on later than anticipated, but I hope you don't mind. Couldn't quite, couldn't quite cut it off earlier. 
<laughs> we both talk for a living. Oh, <laughs> uh, we do. That is that is right. <laughs> That's the thing we do. Um, quickly before we tie up, Charlene, if anybody listening wants to find out more about you, what you're doing, or get in touch, how can they do that? On my website, Charlene Giselle, and they get also free resources. I've written ebooks on breathing and nutrition and um, book a call I'll be happy to talk to you and tell you a little bit more about how to optimize your health amazing thank you I'll put links to all of those things in the show notes for everybody Charlene thank you so much for joining me today it's been an absolute pleasure likewise see you soon see you soon for a nice bath yeah (laughs) we made it if you stayed to this point thank you and I really hope you enjoyed the episode please don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts it really helps and I'm always super grateful for your support you can stay tuned with all of the law life balance updates at www.law-lifebalance.co.uk including the show notes and links to all of my wonderful guests and if you particularly like today's guest do follow them through their channels and reach out if you want more information I'll see you back here soon for the next episode of the Law Life Balance podcast.